I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science If you changed. count the legal votes, I we easily agree. win. Go for a short it is time to get no, Brexit done. This, this candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be I shouldn't be up here. here. What I should be back in the school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, I'm Mark Steele. And welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question, What the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Boris Johnson has the same problem as the people who make the Fast and Furious films. He's got to be more spectacular and astonishing with each outing. And this week he surpassed himself. In his speech to British business leaders, he lost his notes, mumbled, Uh... Uh, forgive me, forgive me, over and over until asking them if they'd been to Pepper Pig World. And it seemed certain he was about to wet himself and then drop his trousers and declare the optimum target for our wonderful British business ipso facto is to boost exports by setting fire to the town hall, as I was advised to do by a giant golden ladybird that lives under my armpits, in vino veritas. But he seems to get away with it. So the others will try to copy him. Rishi Sunak will arrive for his next budget speech in a maid's outfit and he'll say, the projected exports for 2022 are four and ninepence halfpenny and a bucket of angel delight. I lost my keys. I'm sure I had them in a bag with a scotch egg, but they've gone missing. Has anyone been to the Bob the Builder experience? I sat in Bob's digger until the police were alerted that a man in his 50s was hanging around a children's adventure park. Anyway, I commend this budget to the House. And Keir Starmer will think that this is the way to win people over. So he'll make his speech to the CBI after a snort in a big fat line of coke going, some people say we should uh, nationalise the energy companies or privatise them, one of the liquidizers, one of them the same, they're all the same, that they tantalise, pasteurise, pasteurise the energy companies, hang on, energy, porridge, porridge, I've got more buttercups in my garden than the whole of Hong Kong. Hang on, I've lost my place. Who wants to come with me to Smurfland? Come on, let's go! It's fantastic! It's like all blue and stuff. There are still some commentators who insist the Prime Minister gets things wrong on purpose as part of a grand plan to create a funny image, which could be true in the same way that if a plumber came round and shot holes in your radiators with a semi-automatic machine gun until the house was flooded, it would actually be part of a bigger plan to create a jolly popular image of someone who should be immediately sectioned. But it's not Johnson's fault that this has happened. It was his party that voted for him to be their leader. They might claim they don't know what he was really like, but there was the odd clue. He had been sacked for lying. He was on record threatening to have a journalist attacked. And before Johnson became leader, many Tories said he was a hopeless, immoral idiot, but they voted for him as leader anyway because they thought he could win an election. And now the same people say, oh my word, I mean, I had no idea that this hopeless, immoral idiot would turn out to be hopeless or immoral or in any way an idiot. One Tory MP told Owen Jones that Boris Johnson would never be leader of the Conservative Party because they regarded him as completely unsuitable as he was selfish, incompetent and morally abject. And three months later, the same MP recorded a video 
endorsing Johnson's leadership bid. So they're like Basil Forty. Oh, I'm so sorry. Who did you say we voted in as leader? Oh, Boris Johnson. I thought we were voting for Doris Johnson. Ha, ha. The nice lady who runs the post office. Boris Johnson. Oh, now he is useless. Now, I'm inclined to defend Boris Johnson here. He didn't hide what he was like. He more or less said when he stood to be leader, I will be immoral and dishonest and have affairs and not turn up to things. Be totally unfocused. My priority will be wallpaper, pole dancers, carpentier, coitus, interruptus. Now, it is said that the Roman Emperor Caligula plans to make his horse a senator. Maybe then, everyone would have been shocked that the horse turned out to be a useless senator. There would have been articles saying, the horse has lost his magic touch. Today, he made a speech to Roman business leaders in which he lost his place, chewed some hay and nibbled the toga of the CEO of WeBuyAnyChariot.com. Laura Kunzberg would have made reports that went, Further tensions were apparent today. One senior member of the Senate told me that when the horse was asked for his opinion on building a new viaduct, he went, <laughs> Later I'm told the Senate broke up into disarray when the horse did a steaming pat on the mosaic and Michael Govius had to clear it up with a shovel. Maybe the horse failed to turn up to an urgent meeting to discuss the outbreak of a plague of locusts and was found in his newly wallpapered barn mounting another horse. And all the commentators shook their heads in disbelief. But you couldn't really blame the horse. The real problem was the dingbats who gave the horse the job in the first place. It was revealed this week that the Fast Track Visa Scheme launched by Priti Patel to entice potential Nobel scientists to Britain has succeeded in attracting zero applications in six months. Now, a young scientist was asked about this by talk show host Mike Concrete. Now, who have we got with us? Jake Hoyle. Uh, I'm told he won Young Scientist of the Year or something. They give out prizes for anything these days. How old are you? I'm 21. <laughs> Still in bed, are you? No, I've been up since 6.30. I'm usually in the lab by 8. The lab? Is that where you make your drugs? Well, we're working on a drug which will help cure retinitis pigmentosa, which is a condition that... How many drugs have you taken today, then? 10? 31? Or are you so off your face you've lost count? Sorry? You heard. Or are your ears full of wacky-backy? So why haven't you applied for this scheme? Well, I'm British, so I'm not eligible. Couldn't be bothered, then. Too busy taking drugs. I don't take drugs. Don't you? I bet you eat boiled eggs. Occasionally. So you admit it, then? You take drugs? A boiled egg isn't a prohibited narcotic substance. <laughs> yes, it is. See ya, Jake! That's enough of that, idiot. Is it any wonder the Italians beat us on penalties? Here's David Starkey with the horse racing results. Now, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that it's not possible to find out what the fuck is going on in the world on your own. So I always have some very, very capable assistance from elsewhere. And it is truly humbling this week 
that with me as my uh, uh, well, not not as my assistant. I'm fine with assistant, Mark. Honestly. Oh, that was the voice podcastees of Mr. <laughs> Louis Theroux. How humbling is this that I'm interviewing Louis Theroux? I mean, really, if I was doing this seriously, Louis, I'd have moved in with you for about five weeks and gently yeah. teased out some of your personality, but uh, time yeah. doesn't allow that. Yeah, you'd have to move in, put a, a radio mic on me, and then disappear and see what I'd said when I thought I wasn't being overheard. <laughs> uh, now, this week, Doctor Who has become controversial because there's a Conservative MP by the name of Nick Fletcher, who I wasn't familiar with, who has said, I might be paraphrasing slightly, but not much, he has said that Doctor Who being played by a woman, along with other characters that were played by men erstwhile, like in the Ghostbusters film, has robbed modern male youth of their role models. Therefore, it's no surprise that they're turning to crime because now their only role models are people such as the Cray twins. That's right. Now, I think if we're really forensic, we can spot one or two flaws in this. It was quite an odd one to make a sort of signature speech about, wasn't it? What struck me about it was not just that it was Doctor Who, but he was having to reach quite far in the sort of cultural bin to come up with other examples of the media's failure of at-risk male youth, right? Because his other examples... Well, the Ghostbusters reboot, right, from about five yeah. or six years ago, which was all female, he said they've recast Luke Skywalker as a woman, which is not actually true, right? And then the fourth example was a show I'd never even heard of. It turns out there's a reboot of The Equalizer starring Queen Latifah that's on CBS in America. Oh, right, I see, yes. So it was like you're not exactly kind of seizing on cultural items that are really close at hand. Well, there are more, though, Louis. Fiona Bruce is presenting Question Time instead of David Dimbleby. That's a huge role model for young people that's now taken out of the male quarter. And, yeah, Stacey Dooley. Stacey Dooley's doing documentaries in which she gets immersed in worlds yes. that are strange, does a sort of first-person puckish reportage. There must be a middle-aged white guy who could do that. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I think they could be. It makes you feel, I don't, you know, those of us in the culture industries, that's one of the few times, especially on legacy media, actually we're on a podcast now, which is vaguely dissident, right, and countercultural, but for those of us on BBC, like as I am, as my colleague, Doctor Who is, <laughs> that it makes us feel vaguely relevant, do you know what I mean, in an embattled cultural oh, yeah, landscape, yeah. when an MP's standing up, in that the mother of parliaments to denounce as a threat to our very existence, our programme making, it's a bit of a feather in the cap, isn't it? And it actually tends to be a slightly desperate brand of, of right-winger. No disrespect to Nick Fletcher, I don't know much about him. He's a newly elected MP from the Red Wall, from a constituency I learned that had never had a Conservative MP before. So evidently he's trying to make his mark and is worried about probably re-election. But right, it's the right. idea that when you're on the right wing and you need something to sort of galvanise your base, we'll go after those sorts of lily-livered pinkos in the media. And in fact, the alt-right in America very much organised around the Ghostbusters reboot. That was quite a big thing back oh, in the they? day. Yeah, do you think they know their business or they're just... I mean, maybe that really activates the sort of gammon set, do you think? I, I mean, I don't know. Well, what would you... Yes, it might be. I mean, if you had ghosts in your house and then you called up, you know, who are you going to call and you called them up and then women come round, because they're sort of vacuum cleaner type things, aren't they, that they use to get rid of the ghosts, you would think that the traditional gammony people... You would think that would be ideal, what you're going to say for a woman... 
Proper woman's job. Proper woman's work. Right. I hadn't even thought about that. But you'd be worried about them parking because those they're not easy to park, those bigger vehicles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. You'd be like, the good news, the ghosts are gone. The bad news is we've knocked over some of the planters in your front garden. Exactly. And marvellously up-to-date reference points with the Cray twins. I don't know about you, but in the area where I am, the gangs... They're very much influenced by the Cray Twins and they do get in fights with gangs who follow Dick Turpin. That's right. They're very big still, the Cray Twins. It never really, it's like the Beatles, isn't it? It's it's never old. Even though you go down, the younger generation, you think, oh, they can't relate to any of the stuff we like, but then you see them with their little switchblades running around saying, I'm the daddy now. And and it warms the cockles of your heart, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, so I think we've worked out what it is with that. Now, Louis, there is an advert that has come on. It's a Tesco's advert for Christmas, and Mr Santa Claus is in it, and he has a COVID passport at some point, which enables him to get around and do his business down chimneys and such things. And this has been leapt upon by the very forensic scientific people of the anti-vax campaign and they think this is outrageous and it's making Christmas pro-vaccination and such things. Have you seen this at all? Well, I I know what you're talking about. I do find it strange. You're worried about he's going to have to get a COVID passport to deliver the presents on time? You know, like, which part of this do you have a big problem with? Not if he's got... But if he, it's true, if he's got to have a PCR test every couple of hours, that's going to hold things up for weeks. But the thing is, is he gets the test... Like, I travelled a lot in lockdown back and forth to America legally because I have a US passport and there is a protocol. But you, once you've got your test, you do your um, passenger locator form, which on a sleigh one would assume would be fairly straightforward because you're basically front or aft, right? I mean, I don't know how many seats yeah, yeah. there are, but it's not like Mrs. Claus isn't in there, as far as I know. No, she's not in there, but there's all the reindeers. The problem there is the reindeers, because those semi-domesticated flying reindeer seem like the ultimate quarantine issue. Like, we could put them in a kennel, but they're just going to fly out, right? <laughs> well, yes, and in the future, people will look back and go, how did we allow this? Yeah, but it is baffling, isn't it? I mean, I'm relatively sympathetic to some conspiracy theories as sort of creative ways of interpreting reality. But the idea of discouraging people from taking something that's going to save their lives, you know, it's almost a temptation to say, you know what, fine, don't take it. Because the punishment that would ensue would be so ironic and apropos that Mm. it's almost but not quite worth indulging. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And now this did lead me to thoughts about you, Louis, because... I was sort of, I think quite a lot of people get very frustrated. I was talking to a good friend around here who's a very, very calm chap who came across some anti-vax people outside the supermarket in Crystal Palace the other day. And he said, I got very angry. And he's someone I've never seen get angry. And it made me, I thought, ah, now, Louis, you are, your whole sort of raison d'etre in a way is that you manage to be with all sorts of people from the most peculiar marginal views and so on. And you never get angry. And as a result of that, that's how we learn about these people much more than if someone just went in and after five minutes went, well, you're a bloody idiot, mate. You know, then you wouldn't get very far. (laughs) But I thought, does Louis get cross and you keep it in? Or are you really, really that mild and calm? Uh, I I would love to be able to say that I'm just very good at holding in the sort of righteous 
indignation that I should by rights probably feel. But I think probably the embarrassing truth is that I have a sort of slightly weird ability to sort of inhabit the professional role of inquisitor and enjoy views that verge on the toxic or even exceed the toxic. And if anything, as much as it qualifies me to do the job in some respects, because I don't lose my rag, I don't go in and start raging, I probably have to G myself on to be more adversarial because there are times when you do have to bring a higher level of robust Paxman-esque inquisition. Do you know what I mean? And and that's not my natural mode. I mean, my thing is I, I have to guard against going native. You know what I mean? Like my problem <laughs> is that I have to make sure that at the end of the two weeks, I'm going to get on the plane and go home. I mean, I'm sl- obviously I'm slightly joking, but you know what I mean? Like you, you, you're out there on top of a mountaintop for two weeks People are telling you that the UN's going to invade and actually, you know, on day nine or ten, you're like, well, we can't prove that they're not. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe that you do need your guns. What about with Joe Exotic then? Did you sort of, was there a point where you thought, oh, I might get a tiger? Uh, with Joe Exotic, what he had was considerable charm, you know, and obviously right. in 2011, I spent ten days, ten and a half full days with him over the course of three different trips and it wasn't so much that I began thinking like, yeah, everyone should have some tigers. But it was the case that I thought, well, tigers don't really care if they're in a cage, you know. And actually, it's primates that suffer more and bears. You don't see a lot of what they call zoo, they call it zoocosis, like a zoo-based mental illness that animals get where they pace and they get neurotic symptoms. Tigers, like Joe Gullack, tiger doesn't even know he's in a cage. He just pacing up and down he's happy he's fed why, why would he even want he gets fed every day he sleeps why would he go so he would feed him little ice pops you know like um ice ice lollies oh, and right. i think you know like what that tiger seems fine you know like what <laughs> he doesn't care but actually clearly this issue is far b- bigger than that but it probably graduated to a magnum a white magnum at least or a with cornetto. a really thick chocolate shell coating yeah. are you kidding me that's the good life. You know, he doesn't have to chase. No, but obviously it's not good for the Tigers, but you sort of think, well, it's not the worst thing in the world, is it? And Joe you, you, was a kind of just sort of chaotic, but charming, totally unscrupulous, all over the place, fundamentally pretty dishonest, I would say, but really quite funny and warm. And you're, and you're like, yeah, well, yeah. Joe's Joe. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? I My big, I can't believe you're a good interviewer, Mark. You've got it out of me. My big issue is I sort of struggle with almost getting lost in nuance. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm the opposite of Greta Thunberg, you know? <laughs> that clar- that moral clarity of like, it's really simple. It's right or wrong, sort it out. I'd be like, yeah, but do we need that many icebergs? You know, which is clearly... <laughs> no, it's like, yes, we do, Louis. Stay focused. Stay on message. Come on. <laughs> How many do you need in your life? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point. It just occurs to me, I've got a book just coming out in a couple of weeks, an audio book about my adoption story, and I'll see if I can get to this as quickly as possible. So, the ridiculous story of my adoptions, it turns out my natural father, amongst other things, was the world backgammon champion and a multi-millionaire who was part of the Claremont Club. And one of his closest friends was John Aspinall. The Claremont Club, I know John Aspinall is a famous wildlife conservator. He kept lions in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Port Lim, but what was the Claremont? club the claremont club was a gambling club it was the first 
a legal gambling club following the change in the gambling rules in about 1960. Mm. And John Aspinall set it up. Was uh, Lord Lucan oh, part of that set as well? He was absolutely part of that set. Yes, he was absolutely. Tiny Rowlands, David Sterling, who founded the SAS in the war, and my natural father, who became World Backman champion. And Aspinall, amongst other things, he had this sort of idea that animals were superior to humanity because humans had developed these systems where we looked after the vulnerable and that had weakened us and diluted us as a species and therefore they were more honourable than us. Uh, he believed, for example, that there should be two billion people should be eliminated from the world's population because we've just got too many people. And amongst the things that he did is that he bought a couple of bears and he had them in his flat in Mayfair and then he graduated to tigers and he had a tiger, he invited this family round and he said to the 12-year-old boy, son of the people he'd brought out, and he said, come into the cage with the tiger, with me and the tiger. And the mum was a little bit nervous. And he said, oh, it's fine, what's the matter with you? And they went in, and the tiger bit the boy. And he, he had to go to the hospital, have an operation, and all sorts of things to save his life, which luckily it, it happened. But the bit that I thought was most astonishing when I was reading the account of all this was that John Aspinall went to visit the boy in hospital some weeks after it had happened. And the boy said, I was expecting him to apologise. And he said, are you going to apologise? And he said, and Mr Aspinall then just stripped completely naked, turned his back on the boy and swung his testes round in a circle, later explaining that that is the way that gorillas apologise. <laughs> and so he was... He was doing a sort of guerrilla apology, which is the very highest form of apology, in his opinion. That's I'm speechless. You, the suggestion is maybe we should all start doing it. It's certainly worth a try. Yeah. You should try it first on the children of friends, and then, if that, depending on how that goes, introduce it to children in the park yeah, yeah, who exactly. you bump into, yeah. right? Children of strangers. Exactly. <laughs> Anyway, 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 right. Oh, this is brilliant. So, Louis, I now have to ask you the book. Okay. The book is, well, we've kind of touched on it. It's called Through the Keyhole. It's Diaries of a Grounded Documentary Maker. And it's more or less the story of me going slowly crazy with my family in lockdown, but also me launching my podcast, Grounded, also various programs I was making. And the craziness of this very strange world that we live in now I tried to be as warts and all. Whether this is something the public is interested in or ready for remains to be seen, but it was the book that I felt I needed to write based on sort of stripping away, being totally honest about my, what I'd been through. Quite a bit of it is arguments between me and my wife or me being assailed by parental duties. It was just an extraordinary experiment, like a Big Brother house, wasn't it? I think the rage certainly speaking for on my own part, the rage, the arguments, was almost a manifestation of a kind of love. Like, I sort of think that we tend to think that anger and arguments are antithetical to love, but it's almost the opposite, oh, yeah. you know? And, and, yeah. and I think I certainly know my kids better, and we've been through something extraordinary together. And one result of the whole experience was that I've decided to go away a bit less, be around a bit more. From, I mean, it might just be being older as well, but I feel ready to sort of give the slippers a bit more of a workout around the house. And also maybe like global warming and stuff. I just think, I don't know, I'm making it sound a bit pious, but do I need to be travelling back and forth to America to make stories? Maybe I could do some more here. No, I think you should interview your neighbours one by one. Yeah, 
I'd love to do that. That would be incredibly well. You, you, there's stories everywhere. That would be brilliant, though. There would be there's that would stories. Be brilliant. If you moved in with the people three doors up, I bet it'd be fascinating. Whoever they are. I used to live in Harlesden, which is quite a lively area of northwest London, not that far from where I live mm. now. And I often thought there's a lot of stories around here, very lively, fighting, breaking out outside my house. You know what I mean? Low-level police incidents. And I thought there's a kind of series here that could be made, but you, you know the expression, what is it? Don't shit where you eat. I think that applies. <laughs> I think that should be the name of the series, Louis. Or the, the book or the series could be called Shitting Where I Eat, right? Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Thank you so much, Luther. It's been an absolute, utter pleasure. And a slightly humbling, nerve-wracking thing interviewing Louis Theroux. <laughs> it's a bit like, uh, your job today is to go and teach football to Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you for that. No, it's a pleasure to come on. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. What the fuck is going on? So, ah, uh, it turns out there's yet another new variant of COVID. And of course it's presented like those old washing powder adverts. Try new improved COVID with added spike mutations. More deadly, more contagious, scarier than ever before. But some people are very, very worried about it, especially this woman who I overheard in a cafe the other day. Well, I heard Dermot O'Leary say on Good Morning Britain that a new variant had been discovered in South Africa called Omicron, which could be absolutely devastating news because we were hoping to get away for a skiing break in Val d'Isere, and now they might bring in travel restrictions. It's been almost two years since Nectarine used her bobsleigh. It's such a shame because she's a natural. She's only 12 and she's already able to sit in it when it's not moving. Now she's only got to master the going downhill bit. And we need a break because Colin's head of marketing for Pringles across the whole of the Rygate area, which is why he's been away on a business trip to Helsinki. And I've had an awful week as it is. I've had to sack the nanny because she refused to work for 40% off on Black Friday. And I really don't know why everyone's making such a fuss about this Omicron variant anyway, because Calvados, our homeopath, said that it's the same as any COVID. You can build up your immunity by douching with yuzu. I called NHS Direct to see if they could recommend a yuzu supplier, and the man I spoke to said that he was busy dealing with coronavirus patients. Oh, but that's the trouble with some people. It's just me, me, me. Excuse me, do you know if kombucha can be used as a yuzu substitute for anal douching? Oh, what the fuck is going on? So, podcastees, as I sit here perusing the rain and the wind and the storms and whichever tempests are blowing outside, I can tell you to go outside into it. No, you don't even have to go outside into it to hear some other things that are happening. So, the In Town series finally starts this week on Radio 4, 6.30, with a show about Blythe. Blythe, the merry town up in the north of Newcastle. But this is radio, not podcast world, so you have to wait until 630 on Wednesday, December the 1st, and then it'll be on podcast and so on after that. Also, I have a book, part of which has been mentioned in this very podcast, Who Do I Think I Am?, that comes out on Audible on December the 9th, and it is whatever the sort of Audible equivalent of published is. That'll come out, and then you will be able to listen to it. And that's all about the extraordinary story of my adoption. Now, it turns out my natural father was best mates with Lord Lucan and all sorts of other stuff. Oh, I've given away the end. Anyway, but there you are. And also, as ever, in French, on peut acheter maintenant des billets pour mes spectacles français en janvier le 20. 
3, euh, le Club Comédia à Brighton, et le 28 euh, janvier, Museum of Comedy. Euh, Qu'est-ce que le Nikkei se passe Now, we have, as ever, some people who have sent some uh, marvellous messages and questions asking what the fuck is going on. And we really, once we've got the whole world asking what the fuck is going on, I suppose philosophically we have actually answered the question. So, for example, M.H. Hush asks, why has a woman playing Doctor Who led to a rise in male crime, but killing Eve hasn't led to more girls becoming assassins? Well, I have to say, MHR, so I mean, as someone who likes to follow statistics, I think you've got to be a bit patient. Killing Eve's only been out for two or three years, and I don't think that will have fed through yet. I think it is quite possible that in years to come, Killing Eve will have been shown to have led to hundreds and hundreds of women becoming psychopaths and murdering dozens of people a week in obscure towns across Europe. Also, I have to say, you know, this is something that's very important about the issue of male role models being discontinued, as the MP Nick Fletcher suggested, is that, you know, when you have a male Doctor Who as a role model, you know, as I did when I was a kid, it does make a difference. There were times when I was 15 when I thought about going to Swanley's only pub, following the Cray twins as my role models with the intention of murdering someone who was wearing a hat. And instead on the way I thought, no, what would Doctor Who do? And so instead what I did was I put on a scarf and a hat and I ruptured the time space continuum with a magic screwdriver instead and that's the way I dealt with it so I think we should be sympathetic to what he's saying Smart UK at Smart UK says why has Peter Jackson made an eight hour TV series out of some arguably dull footage of the Beatles making what's not even one of their best records now I don't like to argue with people who write things in but I'm going to here because Smart UK I think that's a bit cynical have you seen the eight hours you don't know if it's arguably dull I mean, it's arguably dull before you've seen it, but then everything's arguably dull before you've seen it, isn't it? And if it's the Beatles making what's not even one of their best records, then even if it isn't, isn't that interesting? I'd be really interested in watching arguably dull footage for eight hours of Beethoven making what is not even one of his best symphonies. I'd be quite interested in seeing him sat there going, fuck shit, fuck, fuck. The seventh was fucking brilliant with its pastoral shit, and now, ah! I think that would be you know, arguably dull, but arguably fascinating as well. So I'd rather not be cynical. At Dr. Simon Martin tweeted me this article from The Guardian. HMRC to relocate to Newcastle office owned by Tory donors via tax haven. That's quite a lot of complicated things all at once. So the HMRC is going to Newcastle, oh, to an office owned by Tory donors via a tax haven. Well, they do this now. They just, this is the era of Boris Johnson, you know, before the Blairs, the Camerons, they all did corrupt things. And then they sent people out to go, we haven't been corrupt. And then they'd eventually go, we have been corrupt, but we didn't know we were being corrupt. We who were corrupt are going to set up our own committee to investigate the people who were corrupt, which will be themselves and in fullness of time. And now now, they dispense with that. They just go, yeah, so fucking what? So we own Newcastle and now we've put it up there and we're going to charge the taxpayer rent for our own shit and spend it on cocaine. So what are you going to do about it? And then generally what happens after that 
is they go up another 5% in the polls. Adele recently released her new album, 30, which deals with the anguish of her divorce. And I quite liked it, I was surprised. But I'm not an expert on Adele. But luckily, we have with us somebody who is George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Adele. Your latest phonographic offering represents nothing more than a betrayal of the musical tradition that dissects the purgatorial torment of the human soul. Your inexplicable failure to include any of the marching songs of the Soviet Eighth Army or the folk tunes of the 17th century Austrian peasants celebrating their noble struggle to free Upper Austria from the tyrannical yoke of Bavarian rule does you no credit. This is in marked contrast to my own album, 51, named after the age at which I went through an irreconcilable divorce between myself and the Labour Party. Especially track three, I've Been Crying All Night Baby, which included the exemplary lyrics, In your arms you held me until your internal disciplinary committee unjustly expelled me, which was the most played single on Radio Sputnik in the month of April. That, Adele, if that is indeed your real name, is why I would not have attended your celebrity audience thingy on ITV had I been invited. given week, if I'm to even try to work out what the fuck is going on, I am in desperate need of uh, a voice from the youth to try and help me out. But this week in particular, for reasons that he's going to explain, the person who I bred in order to be able to explain what is happening in this world, Elliot Steele. Hello. What's the young people talking about this week? I want to know about Black Friday. Yeah. This is a new thing. It's an American thing that's come over here, yeah. But you see it as that. It's not, you don't see it as a thing that's now just a natural part of the calendar, like Halloween, which has come over from America, or other things that have come over from America, like nuclear bombs. You see it as a natural part of the year? I do. I don't try to get caught up in, in the retail sort of propaganda, personally, of like, when they go here's this thing that was £600, it's now £400, but it was always £400. They just put it, it was 600 quid. So they make it look like you're getting a bargain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they do. Everywhere. They just make that up. They go, this was £40,000. Yeah. And now it's only a fiver. And you go, well, now I must buy this single carrot. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the co-op. Why not? It's carrotastic. We've gone Black Friday crazy with our four carrots for £1.20, down from £1.20 that they've been the rest of the year. It's carrot, carrot, carrot. Be like Rudolph. But it, it seems to work. Well, it's that exactly. But this is what Black Friday does, is it pulls people into things to think they're getting a deal. But it's like everyone, no matter how much you're against like capitalism, no matter how much you're against something, like, oh, I'm not going to fall for that. Black Friday finds a way to pull you in and makes you part of the system. It's genius. Wouldn't you be better off with crack? Probably. It's crack, crack, crack attack on the Black Friday crack pack. Down from £85 of rock. Actually, I got a text off a, a drug dealer one time who was doing a, a special lockdown deals. 
and he would do like Christmas deals and stuff like that on like weed and MDMA and stuff. <laughs> There's like a this new sort of wave of drug dealers in London. They're like a bit more bougie. So they have like a menu of things. All right. It's all like they send a menu through and they'll be like, hey, special weekend deals. So I bet you there will be a drug dealer who's involved on the Black Friday sale. It's the same entrepreneurship. It's just illegal. You know, it's just that we decide that that's illegal. But they're still going to mimic what works in advertising and in marketing. Are the drug dealers, the menu's like on a laminated big sheet, like in Weatherspoons and that. And you've got like... Um... Spliff and a guest ale, £1.49. That's what they do in Amsterdam. Is it? When you go into Amsterdam, there's a big laminated menu. You can look at the mushrooms. And uh, I've either told you about when we were meant to buy... I didn't do the mushrooms because I had a bad time on LSD one time. So I was like, I'm not going to touch them. What are you talking about? Just I took LSD and I didn't have a great time. So I was like, I'll give the mushrooms a miss. When? I was about, yeah, I was like in my 20s. But I've done it since. I've had a great time on LSD. I was in the house one time coming off LSD and you had no idea. You just thought I was really into the cricket. What? This is, this is terrible. So you've been doing Class A drugs in the house? Well, have you never done LSD? No. I've never done anything. Why not? I don't want to... I'm quite happy with, you know, things looking like the way they are. You've done ecstasy. You told me you did ecstasy. I did ecstasy once. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I only did it once, though. You've had weed? <laughs> yeah, I've weed, yeah. And I've had Guinness and rum. Rum, Black Friday. So I got a thing from this shop. There's a couple of rum shops I know in Paris, and it's got Black Rum Friday. And this little email came, and it's got all the offers of Black Rum. But the websites now are so complicated. You just want to go press, yeah, all right, I'll have that. If there was just a thing that said, yes, you can have me money, you thieving pigs, I'd press that and that'd be gone. You put in your card number and then hundreds of other things come up and it was all complicated. And then I got another email last night saying, thank you for agreeing to come to Paris to pick up the rum. So now I've, I've, it's useless. It's in bloody Paris, where you're probably not going to be allowed to go to about 2073 because of the bloody COVID. So I've just given them the money. That does sound like that was your fault, not the websites. Well, I've learned two or three things with an interview, and that's as good as you can ever do with one interview. One of the things that I've learned is that my own son took Class A drugs in my house while watching the cricket. I didn't take them while watching the cricket. I took them in the park and came back and you were watching the cricket. I'd like to know if Louis Theroux has ever bloody done an interview where he's learnt that out. <laughs> eh? Beat that, Louis. Thank you very much, Elliot Steele. What the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, please subscribe, rate it, and if you can be bothered, write a review, and if you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. We have now got a website, whatthefiscoingonpodcast.co.uk, and if there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter, at WTFisGoingOnPod, and we will look at all the messages that you send. What the Fuck is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Louis Theroux and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Downing. Produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the Fuck is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries.